This is Future X. Hey, it's Joe Hobbs. This is the future of activism. My guests today are Shannon Watts and Ryan Pascal. Shannon's the founder of Moms Demand Action for Gun Sense in America, a nonprofit. She started after the Sandy Hook school shooting in 2012. She's also the author of Fight Like a Mother, how a grassroots movement took on the gun lobby and why women will change the world. Ryan is on the National Students Demand Action Advisory Board. She's hosted Students Demand Action, Leadership Summits Nationwide, and helped launch the diversity and inclusion initiative, We've Been Students Demand Action. Here's my episode with Shannon and Ryan. So we'll start off with you, Shannon. So Shannon, would you be able to tell me a bit about what got you into activism? And did you choose activism or do you think activism chose you? Activism definitely chose me. I had had about a 15-year career as a corporate communications executive, and then um, I decided to stay at home with my kids for about five years. Uh, They were ranging in age from elementary school to college. And at the end of that five years, as I was getting ready to go back to work, um, the Sandy Hook school shooting tragedy happened. And that really changed the trajectory of my entire life. I started a Facebook page thinking I would have a conversation with other women and moms about um, gun safety and really thinking about this like Mothers Against Drunk Driving did back in the 1980s. And what I thought was going to be an online conversation turned into one of the largest grassroots movements in the country. And for almost eight years now, that has been my my work every single day as a full-time volunteer. When you started off, you were planning to do just an online kind of forum. Did you ever really think it could ever get physical with physical strikes and such? Not at all. So I I thought there's got to be an organization like Mothers Against Drunk Driving for Gun Safety. And I went online that the day after the Sandy Hook tragedy in 2012, and I couldn't find anything. And I found mainly some think tanks uh, in D.C. run by men. I found some one-off state or city organizations, also mostly run by men. And, you know, I knew intuitively that I wanted to get off the sidelines, but I wanted to do it with a, a badass army of women across the country, um, just like I'd seen MAD be effective in the 1980s. And many, many other women and moms had that same idea because they found my Facebook page and together I worked with perfect strangers across the country to start organizing in every single state. Ryan, what's your story? What got you into activism? I still remember this day so vividly, um, the day of the Marjorie Stoneman Douglas shooting, seeing um, all the students and, you know, just the community of Parkland itself. It reminded me a lot of the community that I currently live in and that I've grown up in my entire life. And it really made me realize that that sort of thing can happen anywhere. That wasn't an isolated incident. Gun violence is so prevalent in this country that no community is safe, unfortunately. And so I decided to host my school's walkout. I think that was just such a powerful moment for me to see so many students um, that are also interested in, you know, alleviating this crisis because this is something that has plagued our country for so long. And, um, you know, we need as many people as we can to stand up and fight against what's happening. And 
so after I hosted my walkout, I got in touch with every town and I started to do a lot more research on every town, their work. And I got a lot more educated on gun violence. Uh, I, you know, was exposed to the fact that school shootings are not the only types of shootings, that there are so many other forms of gun violence that have ravaged this country. And um, I just became so passionate about it. And so I applied to be a part of um, the inaugural Students Man Action Advisory Board. Students Man Action had like just launched. It was really like nothing at the time. And it just kind of took off from there. I had had the opportunity to work on that team for coming up on two years now, organizing with them and mobilizing uh, young people in their communities. And it's just been such a special experience for me. So Ryan, what role do you think the youth play in um, this kind of battle? Yeah, I think our voices are so powerful in a very unique way. It's unfortunate that school shootings get the most coverage and they are the most widely talked about form of gun violence. Um, But that then allows the student voices to be at the forefront because we are the ones who are affected by those types of shootings. And that then gives us the opportunity to advocate for other types of shootings as well and other forms of gun violence. And so that really gives us, like, as young people, we have our foot in the door in that sense. If we go to a legislator or if we go to a lawmaker, they want to hear from us because they've seen everything that's happening in the news. And then we can educate them on so much more. Um, And so I think that that is something really special about students. Yeah, I mean, I completely agree coming from the youth movement of Friday's Future. Youth voices are so strong and they really need to be used more. Yeah. Um, Shannon, why do you think moms make good activists? You know, I... I have always felt um, that, you know, if you if you want something done right and well, you give it to a busy mom. You know, there's just this skill set of being able to multitask once you become a mom. And also there's this innate desire to protect your own children, but also children everywhere and also your communities. And that fierceness, that that sort of mama bear quality, I think makes us ferocious and really sophisticated activists. And I also think that, you know, moms in this country have been marginalized, um, especially stay-at-home moms. And if you don't use motherhood as a tool in your favor, it will be used against you. And look, that that was an effective formula, at least for where we are right now in this country, where 80% of our lawmakers are men. And, you know, the saying is, if you don't have a seat at the table, you're probably on the menu. And we see that time and time again, even with gun violence prevention. For example, the fact that the Violence Against Women Act is still sitting on Mitch McConnell's desk over a year after it was passed by the House. And that's because there's a provision in there that would prohibit domestic uh, abusers who are stalkers or uh, dating partners from having guns. So, you know, I think that that women are the secret sauce to activism in this country. We've been on the front lines ever since prohibition. Uh, and and we make really effective activists, which is also why I encourage women to run for office, because we also make incredibly effective lawmakers. So, Shannon, you've been quoted as saying the NRA has never been weaker, but this is still a struggle. What keeps you in it? I am motivated by the fact that we're winning. And when we survey our volunteers, they say the same thing. So everyone is waiting for this cathartic moment in Congress that hasn't happened yet, but it will. And they will pass federal level background checks and 
a red flag law and disarm domestic abusers, that will all happen, I, I think, just around the corner. But in the meantime, we have gone into state houses and boardrooms and we have changed laws and policies that completely impact the culture of our country and save lives. We've passed background checks now in 22 states. Uh, just two weeks ago, the, the most recent state was Virginia. Uh, we have passed laws that disarm domestic abusers in 28 states. And we've passed something called a red flag law that, that allows a temporary restraining order to remove the guns from someone who's a danger to themselves or others. We've passed that law now in 18 states. So, you know, the, the work we're doing um, is what I call the unglamorous heavy lifting of grassroots activism, but it's working uh, on offense and then defense too. We have a 90% track record of stopping bad NRA bills every single year in state legislatures. And, and so the fact that, that we have accomplished so much in such a short time makes me feel like, you know, this is, it's just a matter of time until we win this and then we have to protect those wins. So Ryan, when you speak at leadership summits, what gets reflected back to you by the audience? What are people mad at? What do they want to work on? Yeah, I think there's kind of a unique issue almost within like the gun violence prevention movement. We're seeing very often that it's become overrun by a lot of wealthy white students, which is absolutely okay. We love having as many voices as possible. But that does tend to drown out a lot of young voices within the black and brown communities uh, that are hit by gun violence so hard. And so um, I know that whenever we host these summits all over the country, we always like to make it very clear that school shootings are not the only form of gun violence. There are so many forms that specifically affect certain communities. And for a lot of students, that's their first time ever hearing that. They may have never known that. And that's disappointing for a lot of students. That's heartbreaking to know that there are people living across this country who are marginalized, affected by gun violence, and they're not even heard. They're not listened to. Um, their perspective isn't valued. And so so many times I'll have students say like, well, what can we do about this? How can we help out? Um, like, this is something that is now extremely important to me. Um, and yeah, I think that's just something that is shocking to a, a lot of students that really upsets them. Um, and yeah, they really just want to fight for, for these communities. So what do you think the biggest challenge or problem that you face right now is? I think we're in a very unique circumstance with COVID-19. I know within Students Man Action, we had these grand plans to do like a nationwide voter registration extravaganza. Um, and it really relied on people being on their campuses. And now, like, I don't think anyone is on campus. And so we have had to take that to the internet. And so we have since launched our virtual field offices within the past month, I want to say, or within the past couple of weeks, which, um, is getting students to register voters from the privacy of their homes. And that is by relational organizing, um, which is calling friends, calling families, um, like posting on social media, and just mobilizing the young people in their community to do what they can with the resources that they have available to them. You know, we can't 
stand in front of the carpool line anymore and have our voter registration signs and hope that people walk by us and take one. It just doesn't work that way. And so that's become a challenge for us. How can we maximize uh, registering voters despite not being able to really physically be near each other? Um, And so that's been a challenge, but I think that we we're up to that challenge and I think that we're meeting the need. Yeah. So same question for you, Shannon. What do you think is the biggest challenge or problem that you face right now? Well, you know, the the challenge has always been um, that we've had a silent majority and there's a very vocal minority of gun extremists who have essentially been writing our nation's gun laws, whether they're citizens um, who wrongly believe their rights will be taken away or gun lobbyists who show up and um, have a, a quid pro quo relationship with lawmakers. And that's been decades of misinformation and rhetoric and really the NRA being one of the wealthiest and most powerful special interests that's ever existed. So going up against that, you know, we were very much the David to the NRA's Goliath. And no one thought we had a chance um, to reverse course. And in fact, not only have we rolled back many of the gains the gun lobby has made, um, in the last two electoral cycles, we have outspent and outworked the NRA. In 2018, we outspent them. Uh, we spent $30 million, and then we outworked them, and we elected over 1,000 gun sense candidates across the country. We, we took the House back. We flipped the makeup of seven state legislatures. And then in 2019 in Virginia, uh, we invested about $2.5 million, outspent the NRA 8 to 1, outworked them on the ground, and flipped both chambers of the General Assembly. We were the largest outside donor uh, to um, the, the elections there. And then going into 2020, we've already pledged to spend $60 million, twice what we spent in 2018, twice what the gun lobby spent in 2016. And I really think that um, given the, the how weak the NRA is financially, reputationally, that we have a, a true chance to elect a gun sense president, uh, to flip the Senate, to hold the House, and to keep making progress at the state level. So I think even though this was a huge obstacle, uh, we have managed to to overcome that. A hundred percent. I think it's amazing that, especially when you look at it, anybody from the outside may not see all the differences, but when you look at it, if you start off at the local level, you can influence the national level. And it sounds like that's exactly what you guys are doing. I think it's perfect. That's how most social issues work. You know, if you look at marriage equality, um, activists went directly to Congress, asked for marriage equality, and the so-called gift they got in return was the Defense of Marriage Act, which of course they didn't want. So they pivoted and started doing their work in state houses and boardrooms too. And eventually that work pointed um, the the president and and Congress in the right direction. This is directed at both of you, and um, either one of you can answer this or both of you. So what do you think is the future of activism? Ryan, do you want to, as a student, you might want to take that first. Yeah, I think technology has absolutely revolutionized the way that we are able to organize. And I mean, that's not anything new. We've been hearing this for a long time, but I don't know if people really recognize the gravity of that. I think specifically, as I touched on the virtual field offices earlier, but specifically on uh, on those, we are able to continue what we started in our homes, not even being out physical near each other. And that's something that's like largely unheard of, you know, just even just like five or 10 years ago, that's not something that we would have 
been able to do. Uh, and so I think we're really going to see technology bring people together in ways that we've never seen before and bring people together all over the country, uh, bring people together on all different you know, levels of power. And I think that we're really going to see that like great equalizer that, you know, is really just going to change the world. Shannon, do you want to take a chance at this? I think students like Ryan and others have such an important role to play and they are so activated on this issue because, you know, we call them the lockdown generation. They've grown up having to hide in the bathroom of their classroom and pretend, you know, that there's someone in the school that wants to kill them. And that's not something that, that my generation experienced. So they're angry, they should be, and they're activated on this issue. Um, but I'm also excited by the fact that, you know, we have uh, my generation and women and moms who are engaged in this and not just shaping policy, but also moving into making it by running for office. And, you know, retirees are such an important part of our organization too, particularly women, you know, who, who are in their 60s and older who have time on their hands and they want to make a difference and get involved. So it's going to take every single generation getting off the sidelines and using their own particular set of skills and talents um, to, to change this issue. And look, I think the fact that we've made so much progress in just eight years um, goes to show that when you have the, the financial and the human resources to take on special interests, you can win. And that's, that's an important part of democracy. What advice do you have for someone who wants to be an activist? My advice is you don't have to know everything there is to know about the issue. I mean, when I started Moms to Be in Action, I simply was angry and wanted to act. Um, I, if I had waited until I knew everything there was to know about gun violence, uh, the legislative process and laws, or even organizing, I still wouldn't have started the movement. It would have taken me that long. I mean, I was drinking from a fire hose for the first few years. So we really, we built the plane as we flew it. We knew that we wouldn't be perfect. We knew we weren't experts, but we just jumped in. And I think, I think that's important for anyone who's passionate about any issue. Um, those tenets can, can apply. You should always follow your gut. And if the worst thing that happens is that you fail, you fail, just consider that feedback so that you can win the next time. So same question for you, Ryan, um, especially in a youth sense, what advice would you have for someone who wants to be an activist? Yeah, I think this work can be very heavy. You know, the people who are opposed to what we are fighting for can be very overwhelming. And, you know, that's enough to make people leave this fight or make people want to leave this fight. But it's important to remember that we are standing on the shoulders of decades upon decades of people fighting for gun violence prevention, specifically black and brown communities fighting for gun violence prevention. Um, And, you know, if they could do it, we could do it. That's something that's very important, I feel like, is to remember that you know, there's an army behind you. You'll never be in this fight alone. You'll never be fighting for something all by yourself. There are millions of people who support what you support. And there are so many people who uh, are rooting for you and who are fighting for you, even if they don't personally know you or you don't personally know them. But trust me, they are so proud of the work that you're doing. And so I think that's like the strength that really keeps me in this fight. And that's what I, that's the advice that I would offer to other young people for them to remember and just to motivate them. 
Thank you. That's really good advice. So how can our listeners get involved with Moms Demand Action, Students Demand Action, or Every Town for Gun Safety? So every town is the umbrella and Students Demand Action and Moms Demand Action are the grassroots arms of the organization. Uh, to get involved in Students Demand Action, you just text the word students to 64433. And what I'm really excited about is the fact that we've just given $1.5 million to Students Demand Action to register new voters. A lot of these students unexpectedly have a lot of time on their hands because they're home from school. And we are going to make a huge difference by um, turning people out to vote, especially new voters. And then to join Moms Demand Action, and, and to be clear, we're not just moms and we're not just women, we're mothers and others. Um, you can text the word READY to 64433, and we'll immediately plug you into the organization wherever you live. That's awesome. Thank you so much for joining me today, guys. It was great to meet you. You too. Thank you so much for having us. It was great talking with you guys. Listen to the Future of Activism on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Transcripts and show notes are posted to futurex.fm. We're part of the Future X Podcast Network. I'm Joe Hobbs.